All right. Well, I think you guys must have heard the topic because um, we have a light crowd, and I think, folks, the word got out what we were talking about. Um, Legislation. Regulation. I don't know how to make it exciting, but I'm going to do my best. So um, I I picked this up because, uh, I don't know, how many folks watched the State of the Union address last night? Yeah. Um, And then um, one of the things that the, thank you, one of the things the administration's been touting is cutting regulations. Have you noticed that? And uh, they've, there were 1,200 uh, regulations in the pipe that President Obama was putting forward that hadn't been um, established yet. And when Trump took office, he just eradicated all those. And uh, he's saying for every two regulations are cut, you can add one. Um, and at this point, I think it's 21 to 1, 21 regulations cut to every one added. And... Um, and this seems to be an effort of this administration. And looking at all those things, you, you wonder what's the point and how does it operate and how does it affect me as a citizen and what is the, uh, the constitutional purpose for all this? And can anyone name any administrations, federal administrations, off the top of your head? Federal Bureau of Investigation, there's one. FAA, there's a pilot back there, FAA. IRS, EPA, EPA. okay, OSHA. OSHA. How about uh, EPA? Someone said EPA. How about the FTC? Has anyone been dealing with the FCC? Nobody's been worried about the net neutrality or what was happening in relation to that. You remember? Does anyone remember net neutrality and what was going on with that and where we were and how the whole world would implode if? Net neutrality wasn't implemented. Nobody, anybody, Bueller, anybody? Okay. And how does that affect us as regular citizens? And and we look at this uh, just alphabet soup of administrations. And, you know, it wasn't until I think 1887 that the first federal administration was established. 1887, the first federal administration was established. And, And here we are, 2018, and I'm going to show you a few of the administrations that have been established. But where did this all come from? We're going to kind of cover that tonight. We're going to get just a brief history of it. Uh, I'll give you a couple books where you can do your own homework and get a better understanding of it. But let's, since this is, this is an idea of a constitutional class, let's look at Article 1, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution. This is the very first regulatory statement by our founders as to how our government is to operate. Now, we know the preamble, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, so we know who the sovereign is, and then we go into the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution. The first one is a legislative branch and what their powers are, and we know these powers are divided between the legislative, judicial, and executive branches. For the sake of review, what branch of the government is elected by the sovereign? The people. Okay, one person got it. Let's try that again. What branch of government is elected by the sovereign? Legislative Legislative branch. How is the president elected? Electoral college. Now, there's a popular vote, but as we saw in this last election, the popular vote uh, doesn't hold water to the electoral college. Now, we've we've studied the electoral college. This is based on... uh, the the electorates vote in accordance with their congressional district, correct? And so based on the congressional districts, the representation, which is a representative form of government, we're not a true democracy, we're a republic. And why is it that we're a republic? We go all the way back to the Declaration of Independence, the consent of the governed created equal, remember? So I can't do to you anything that you don't give me permission to do. Thus, you are my representative and we're equal, Okay. So we have the Electoral College. So the president is elected by the Electoral College, which is, in essence, the legislative body. And then how are judges selected? Appointed by who? The executive branch. So it's, it's a division of power. Now, why did our founders divide the power and take the sovereign out of the government, we the people, and then divide the different branches of government? 
Balance of power. Why in the world would we need a balance of power? Why in the world would we need a balance of power? Give me a simple, concise answer. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You're, you're out. Right here. Huh? Our sin nature. Corruption. That's a long answer. And yes. I didn't hear you. Oh, Hitler. Jim Mather said Hitler. Glad you're with us. Awesome. The idea is the human nature is to consolidate power, correct? Hello? And, and if I have the opportunity to make you work for me for nothing, where I don't have to do anything, that's called a slave. So when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people, any time, any people, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with these rights, and the purpose of government is to protect those rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Yes? So the idea is we give us freedom. And the way we do that freedom is we divide the power so it's not consolidated into one person, so that person doesn't use us as their slaves. Prior to this constitutional republic, every form of government on the face of the earth was an oligarchy, a monarch. And it was a divine right of kings, and you were subjects, yes? And so how do we avoid the consolidation of power? And so we established the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution, beginning with the legislative branch, which is the only branch of government elected by the sovereign, we the people. Then it goes to the judicial branch, executive branch, right? And we have states, yes? So the very first legislative statement in the U.S. Constitution begins with a three-letter word. Does anyone know what it is? I, there's, <clears throat> not three words, Tom, a three-letter word. Get another sip of coffee and come on back. A three-letter word. What? All. Article 1, Section 1, U.S. Constitution, all. Everyone say all. all. Can anyone give me the definition of all? <laughs> I mean, if you want to look it up in Webster's Dictionary, you're welcome to. The word all means all. All what? So everything pertaining to making laws falls in the jurisdiction of the legislature. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. And we know that every state gets two senators. And based on your population, you get a congressional member or more. And we have an upper house and a lower house and they deliberate and the process is slow. Yes. yes. So all of our laws, all of our laws come from where? No, no. The majority of our laws today come from administrations, bureaucracies. Let me show you a very important, and this is the Sixth Amendment. We've covered a few of the amendments. We're going to take a look at the Sixth Amendment. Very important one in relation to tonight's Article 1, Section 1. This is the Sixth Amendment of the Bill of Rights. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy trial and public trial. Everyone say public trial. By an impartial jury. Say impartial jury. Of the state. And district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. That is in the Bill of Rights. So we have Article 1 that says all legislative power rests with the legislature. Yes? And now as citizens, we have the right to a speedy trial, a fair trial, yes, and a trial by our, our peers, yes? Okay. Now, how did we get to the administrative state? Anyone know this guy? Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was one of the early architects of what was called the administrative state. It was formed by this progressive movement, these progressives in the early 1900s, studied in Germany and Prussia, 
As a matter of fact, you'll see later in the slides that you couldn't get uh, a professorship in any major university in America unless you had studied over in Germany under this concept of administrative law. Administrative law took over constitutions in Europe and ushered in what? Fascism. Fascism, Nazi Germany. And one of the advocates, and you think, well, this is a Democrat proposition. Well, let's just take a look at Teddy Roosevelt. He was another advocate of the administrative state. He pushed for it. Anyone ever heard of of William Rehnquist? He ruled in favor of the administrative state. A number of others did. Republicans have ruled in favor of the administrative state. Democrats have ruled in favor of the administrative state. They've gone back and forth with these. And today, we all should be, we all should be governed by constitutional law, yes? But today, the main law that we're governed by is administrative law. And the one who really put it into context and the one who really um, placed it in the warp and the woof of the fabric of our nation was none other than this president, FDR. America had gone through Herbert Hoover and entered into the Great Depression. FDR saw all the folks out of work. America had halted, uh, the stock market had collapsed, and he began to increase wages, and he, he began to do a number of things and set up all these federal administrations under this concept of the New Deal in the 1930s, and he started to make all these national administrations, um, and he began to lay the ground, and this was all done through the New Deal. And so he had the alphabet soup, the Tennessee Valley Authority, and a number of others that he had set up. Now, this New Deal um, ushered in the administrative state, and America's constitutional powers began to evaporate, and constitutional law took backseat to administrative law, to the point where um, even Congress started to kind of change its tune. Now, of the three branches of government, under administrative law, who has the most power now? Who's the one who's put into who's the one who's put into effect most of these administrations? The executive branch. And who does it take power from? The legislative branch. So the power is now taken from the legislative branch, and all laws, according to Article 1, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution, are in the legislative branch. But now the executive branch, through FDR and a number of other presidents, and, and you just want to go through it, every president has put together one, HHS and Homeland Security and EPA and uh, you go on and on and on. NEA? NSA? Just, we can go all night. And as they put this together... All of a sudden, the power shifted from we, the people, electing legislators who establish all of our laws, and we have a direct connection with them, and now it's in the executive branch, and this is what occurs. With the New Deal came the administrative state, and now it's administrative law versus constitutional law. Administrative law versus constitutional law. So now all of the things we're dealing with in our country today and the number of regulations that we face have not gone through the U.S. Congress. They've gone through these federal administrations. Does anyone in here operate a small business? Please raise your hand. Okay. And you face regulations. Am I correct? Yes. Rolling your eyes and nodding your heads. Those didn't come from Congress. Those came from regulatory agencies, federal regulatory agencies. Take a look at this. Administrative agencies staffed by experts is much more efficient and administrative law is needed in modern society. This was the cry of the early progressives. We have an upper house and a lower house and the wheels of justice move way too slow If we could just get experts together in a room and give them full authority, we can handle this problem quickly. Doesn't that sound appealing? Come on. Hello? Because all of us rolled over and took it. And if we can get this problem fixed immediately and we get a handful of experts to pull that together, we are going to do really, really well. And so administrative law became absolute power. And what we're going to look at tonight is original danger, not original intent of the Constitution. 
According to the Constitution, they were doing their best to avoid these binding edicts placed upon a free people. Did you see the Declaration of Independence? We've read that, yes? And you saw all of the issues that the king had violated? Yes. And why did they give us why did they give us in the Bill of Rights the Sixth Amendment, the right to a fair trial? That was one of the, the uh, habeas corpus was suspended when he was uh, by the king. By the king. The king was adjudicating and executing and legislating at his will, and the people had no power. And so the purpose of our founders was to put the power in the hands of the people. Everyone tracking me so far? Now, the administrative state is very exciting, especially when you've gone through a Great Depression. The Germans did after World War I. It took took a shopping cart full of Deutschmarks to buy a loaf of bread. And one man comes on the scene and says, I can fix it all. Just give me the experts and the full authority. And that's why in Germany and in Prussia and all those regions where our thousands of Americans came to study in the, in the early 1900s, and this whole process was designed in the 1700s, and, 1800s, and it, was, it, it was established in Germany and Prussia, all of our scholars go over and study, come back to the United States and begin to put together this progressive mindset that in a common society, in a modern, excuse me, in a modern society, the Constitution is outdated. And we really have to react quickly, and we've got to have centralized experts to be able to do some of these things. So how was it that the legislature, according to Article 1, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution, allowed these administrative states and tried to justify it when all legislative authority is is placed with them? How did they justify it? It was an emergency, but still... It says all, doesn't it? As I said earlier, developed in Germany in the 1800s, thousands of Americans studied abroad to learn the theory. By the 1900s, you couldn't get a job in a major major university if you hadn't studied the administrative state theory. And here's how Congress justified the progressive administrative agency state by the simple term, delegation. However, Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution forbids this, term, forbids this by the term all. What they said is, we're going to delegate our authority to this administration. And it's going to be in the hands of experts. And we're, we're going to give them an outline of what we delegate for them to do. And then when we pass a law, we'll delegate to them to, to implement that. And we're going to delegate that authority to them. I don't know about you. That sounds kind of cool. Experts. Anyone? Educated by the same. Who are the experts and what are their theories? And did we elect them? No. I want to take a case study of the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. And I want to, I want to just, this, I want to, I, this, this is a real life case study And it was, I'm not going to give you the players in it, but I want to show you how the process worked with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. Okay? Now, as we read this case study, I'm going to read it out loud. As we take a look at this case study, I want you to remember, let's go all the way back. Who is the sovereign? Say it loudly, people. Who We the people. We're not in the government. And who is it that we elect of the three branches? Legislature. Who appoints the president? Electoral college. And who appoints the judges? And what does that mean? All of the power is spread out. And the question I asked earlier is why? And we got some really good answers. And the bottom line is, in the nature of man, it's our desire to consolidate power. And we use the term efficiency. But with efficiency comes domination. And no longer are you the sovereign. Watch this scenario. How the Federal Trade Commission operates. The FTC regulates substantive rules of conduct by delegation of Congress. The FTC then considers whether to authorize investigation to whether the FTC's rules have been violated. 
If the FTC authorizes an investigation and the investigation is conducted by the FTC, the FTC reports its findings to the FTC. If the FTC thinks that the FTC's findings warrant an enforcement action, the FTC issues a complaint. The FTC's complaint that an FTC rule has been violated is then prosecuted by the FTC and adjudicated by the FTC. And the FTC's adjudication can either take place before the full FTC or before a semi-autonomous administrative law judge. And if the FTC chooses to adjudicate before an administrative law judge rather than before the FTC and the decision is adverse to the FTC, the FTC can appeal to the FTC. How free do you feel? This is insane. Now let's go back. Article 1, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution. Not administrative law, but constitutional law. All. Everyone say all. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. I put it in 28-point font. I just want to start to share with you just a sampling, not all, of the federal commissions and administrations. Each one of these paid for with your tax dollars, unaccountable to you, can adjudicate, legislate, and execute the laws they write, and you have no say in it. They control every aspect of what you drive, where you live, what you drink, what you eat, your medical condition. I mean, we can go on and on. The television shows that you're allowed to listen to and the radio stations and who gets to broadcast. Anyone? Just let me know when you're tired and exhausted. I'm not done yet. Eight, no, it isn't. 800,000 federal employees Who said that's just California? Let me do California for you. You get to pay for all those. And you have no say. Now... You say, oh, this is a Democrat issue. Oh, this is a Republican issue. Both sides are involved. You have the Troubled Asset Relief Program. Remember TARP? Bailed out the banks. The U.S. Congress, House of Representatives, the Senate, they got together and they said, let's bail out Chrysler and GM. And the Congress actually said no. The FTC, under the TARP rules, which were designed for the banks, it was such a broad ruling and the powers that they were given delegated, even though all legislative power rests with. (sighs) So under TARP rules, they went ahead, contrary to the Congress, and bailed out Chrysler and GM with your money. Yes? Don't jump ahead of me. The EPA has implemented most of the regulations Congress rejected in 2009. Um, this idea, you know, it was it was it was Bush who put forward the regulation of the banks with TARP, and then under the Obama administration, Chrysler and GM. And it goes back and forth with these administrations placed by either Democrats or Republicans. And, and every, every president has attempted to create an administration that bypasses the will of the people. Um, it, was, uh, it was Theodore Roosevelt, this national regulation of business that he tr- desired to do. Of course, as we studied before, that 
FDR was the one who implemented a, a large portion of these. And it becomes this idea um, that an elected official becomes subservient to the administration. And all because people wanted efficiency. And we get scared, don't we? Remember when September 11th, we watched the World Trade Center or the, the Twin Towers imploding? You remember that? We saw the Pentagon smoking and the plane in the field in what was Pennsylvania that was supposed to hit the White House. And we were all scared, weren't we? What came out of that as far as an administration? Homeland Security. And I, I remember Homeland Security. It, going through the lines, I remember you used, used to walk onto an airplane, and now Homeland Security, and, and they were just trying to fill it with anyone they could find, and now they have badges, and now it's serious. I can't tell you how many pocket knives I've lost and bottles of shampoo that you just bought for the trip. It goes right in the... And, and as we watch these administrations, they're all established because of fear. And we want, to, we want to efficiently deal with a problem, don't we? You know, what's interesting is the reason why Americans and our founders established a constitutional republic is because this administrative state is not new. It was always there. The administrative state in, in the 1700s, 1800s, and then as the education began in the 1900s, Germany and Prussia and then went into fascism, and we saw Hitler and this idea of dealing with crisis and creating centralized government. You know, Americans looked at this, and our, and our founders looked at it, and they said, we, for that reason, we need to separate power to keep the power in the hands of the sovereign, the people. It's not like they didn't prepare for changes in society. But what we've come up with is we think modern society somehow dictates that we, the people, can't govern and be protected. And so they use crisis to consolidate power. It's basically that the executive branch of government has taken this legislative power and decided to go off-roading with it. And it's kind of thrilling and it's exciting. We can probably get there quicker but it's very dangerous. And this is what our founders saw as absolute power and, and what they call prerogative power. And this administrative state was very clear to our founders. And this was, their, this was the danger. So we're not speaking of original intent as much as we're seeing original danger. And this was the whole purpose of why they had this division between powers. The English rejected this administrative state in the 1700s. And, of course, as we, we took a look at it, the way that Congress justified it was by using the word delegate. They don't have the authority to de delegate. They are bound by a constitution that we, the people, have established that all legislative power resides with them, and you're not allowed to abdicate that power. All, and the word means all, legislative power resides with the legislature. Is everyone clear on that? I want to take a look at this video so you can see what the legislative state does. And by the way, uh, I was doing the calculations, 58 cents a gallon, 50, almost 59 cents, 58.73 cents per gallon is California state tax with an addition of $25 per car and registration. And then we pay close to 19 cents uh, a gallon on federal gas taxes. So close to seven, more than 70 cents, well, close to 70 cents a gallon. And today I think it's what, 310, 315 a gallon. Wouldn't it be nice if you could take 70 cents off of that? 230 a gallon. Take a look at this video. Uh, you want me to, uh, I, got, I get to do it. Here's the video. As Americans, we love driving. U.S. drivers travel an average of 11 billion miles a day, which is almost 40 miles per person. But driving isn't cheap, especially when you think about all the hidden taxes that you might not notice when you commute to work or go on a family road trip. Take gasoline prices. For every $40 you spend filling up your tank, almost $8 goes to the government in taxes. 
The federal gas tax is 18.4 cents per gallon, and that doesn't even count state gas taxes, which average another 27 cents per gallon. And in some states, like New York, the gas tax can surpass 50 cents per gallon, meaning lots of pain at the pump. Government regulations only hurt more. One recent proposal to impose a $10 tax on each barrel of oil, for example, would cost an estimated 25 cents per gallon, in addition to federal and state taxes. This would not only increase prices at the pump, but also lead to unintended consequences, such as job loss and lower economic output. Research has found that a $10 per barrel tax could cost the U.S. as many as 137,000 full-time jobs and almost $50 billion in lost revenue every year. Gas isn't the only hidden tax you pay when you hit the road. When drivers use the highway or cross a bridge, they're paying the government billions of dollars in toll fees. In 2013, U.S. toll agencies collected $13 billion from travelers. In addition to gas taxes and drivers' personal spending on transportation, such as oil changes and car repairs, U.S. households bear an average burden of more than $1,100 per year in additional travel-related costs. This includes an estimated $597 per household dedicated to road construction and repair every year. So the next time you get in your car, remember that the government has the meter running. To subscribe. Now, um, what do federal administrations, state administrations, and the judicial branch of government have in common? Laws they make, yeah. Think, think about it. Yep, but what else? Something really key. Not that they can enforce it by gun. I mean, the judicial branch can't do without the legislature. But what do these two groups have in common? What I'm looking for. You ready? They're thieves. <laughs> Pay, pay attention. N- neither of them are elected. Neither of them are elected. And they also legislate. And they don't have the authority to do that under Article 1, Section 1. Now, I don't know how serious you all want to take this, but if you don't read, you never grow. Pick this book up. This guy, Philip Hamburger, is amazing. Is administrative law unlawful? Just, you can take a picture of that or write that down. He is uh, a professor at Columbia University. He's taught at Harvard and a number of other places. Amazing guy. He also wrote another book. If you have a picture of that, I'll, just tell me when you're finished after your cameras are down. Here's another book that he's written. And if you don't get it down, you can just type in Philip Hamburger. If you can't remember that, you're obviously not hungry enough. <laughs> this is a great book here. Take a look at that one when you get a chance. I haven't finished that one, but I finished the first one. I have it on my Kindle. The idea is neither of these folks are elected. Most of the things that we're dealing with in regards to immigration policy are not issues that are put forward by the legislature. These are all presidential executive orders done through administrations. And... uh, this is, this is where we are losing um, our freedom. Policy is made today mostly by administrative agencies. And I don't know about you, but one of the keys, and Michelle pointed this out, is two things. Congress needs to take back Article 1, Section 1. And there are a handful, probably right now, about 14 legislators who are advocating for this across the country to return Article 1, Section 1 back to the legislature. And one of the things they advocate is that they do control the purse strings and they just need to cut off the funding to these administrations. They, they have the power of the purse strings. And, and until they do that, our voice for our elected officials becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. So when you see a president who is cutting regulation, that's dealing with the symptom. What's the problem? 
the administrations. And they need to be held in greater accountability. And we, we have a few laws going before the legislature to hold these administrations in greater accountability, and they're going to be pushed in the coming years, coming months, actually. So be mindful of that. Encourage your Congress members to get behind them. Um, but you're going to be contending because there are a lot of folks who think a bigger, more centralized government with our experts is going to be far more efficient than a constitutional government. That may be the case, but how would you like to end up in an FTC loop? Do you feel like your Sixth Amendment would be honored in the Bill of Rights if you're one of the people having to go before the FTC? All power rests with them. You understand how that works? So this is one of the reasons why we need to educate our people, and you need to know what you're dealing with. And if you don't, rights are like muscles. If you don't exercise them, you lose them. You can't say, well, it's just boring. So are you, right? Get engaged. You have generations that are going to follow and to the extent that you're willing to defend it and stand for it is what the future will... And, and don't do it for yourself just because you'd rather watch TV than educate yourself and read a couple books. So, all right. I didn't have a lot to say tonight. I know that's strange. Questions? Jim? Yeah, I'm talking about education. What are we or what are you? I'm doing a lot right now. I'm working on it. Amen. I agree. Hopefully. I want to live as long as you, although I don't know if I'll make it to 120. I know. You're just a young pup. Questions tonight, comments? Uh, and, and, you know, put a caboose on it. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so um, let me repeat that for the sake of the folks who'll be listening to it uh, online. Uh, the, the comment is uh, there is a place for administrations um, to allow uh, efficiency to operate and to do away with all the administrations would, would create a, a, a slowdown in the legislative process. Uh, and to have experts to be able to operate and to be able to delegate that uh, would be effective and probably necessary in our modern world. Uh, and you advocated, if I heard you correctly, that instead of doing away with them, we have to give them greater oversight. Is that, did I hear you correctly? Well, Okay, so having Congress, having Congress take a greater role in oversight. And you can't fire them. I want to. I want to get to answering what you were saying. So, so if there were greater oversight, you would be content with that. Okay. Okay. I. I. Yeah. I'm going to say this. I'm in agreement with you. If Congress has full authorization over these administrations. I see nothing wrong with allowing them to operate in that realm when Congress has full authority to override 
and not allow them to adjudicate and not allow them to execute the laws. But if they want to put together concepts, for example, as a council member, when we're looking at Measure E, I turn to the staff at the city and they look through and read through and they put their expertise and they come to us with a recommendation that we have to act upon as representatives of the people. I have no problem with that. But the minute that you give that administration the ability to, to rule on the law and to execute that law, now we've got a problem. And when they implement regu- regulations without Congress's permission, now we've got a problem. I have no I, have, I will not stand in the way of having experts review and bring back that to a legislative body, but all legislation rests in the hands of the legislature. Would you agree with that? Yes. But that's not what's happening. They have the executive, legislative, and judicial authority without any accountability to the people, and we can't fire them. That's a problem. I am in full agreement with you that educated folks in a department that are accountable to legislature and bring ideas that can be implemented by the legislature is a good thing. Tom. It's your fault. (laughs) Everyone else in here is resolved of any response, absolved of any responsibility. You did it, Tom. No, I, we got, we got to this place, as I said earlier, through this, this concept of the administrative state, and, and you use crisis to create a desire to centralize and create efficiency because of fear instilled in people. And we buy into it. I, I, did any, I don't know. Huh? You, you want me to reiterate it? Okay. Well, the first thing is, the first thing is that the, 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 uh, the role of the legislature, and as Michelle pointed out, our job, or their, excuse me, their job is to defund these and, and, and as was pointed out, greater oversight on, on these and remove their ability to have the three branches of government. And all they're there is to bring recommendations to the legislature. And, and, and it's Congress's job to take back their authority in Article 1, Section 1. And we, the people, have to demand that. So whenever you're going to elect a Congress member, we ask them, can you tell me, since you're going to swear allegiance, can you tell me the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution and how many amendments are there? And then just say, Article 1, Section 1, are you going to work to get that back? Hello? Hello. Can you do that? Can you educate everyone you know to do that? Now we're making an inroad. That's why we're here. Jim, you already asked the question. But you know what? So you want to see more education, especially with the younger people. And you're looking for an answer to that? Okay, so for those of who are listening online, the question is, how do we educate the younger people and, and, and how do we get this into them so they understand what we've been given in a constitutional republic? Is that correct, Jim? Uh, and, and as I've covered in previous lessons, the simple idea is we're obviously up against a roadblock. There's a hindrance to want to get this in there. We don't teach civics. We don't teach policy or the Constitution for the most part in, in our schools today. And we need to come up with creative ideas to bypass that. Um, though I don't agree with everything on Prager University, one thing that amazes me is they're reaching millennials and they're doing it in such a manner to educate them. Every video you've seen that you've been moved by is a Prager University video. We've got to be creative. We, we can't say, you know, our, our kids need this. We got to get, we, we've got to come up with ideas on how to do this. One of the things we're doing with our videos is everybody's watching them. They're, they're being duplicated and sent out. I'm brand new at this. I'm sure we could tighten it up, make them look cleaner and more spectacular like the Prager stuff. I think that people can duplicate this model of what we're doing and start to get our communities. Everyone in the room here represents a portion of our community. And as we're moved by this, it doesn't matter if you're left or right or center. 
This, this is what makes us a people and gives us our freedom is the Constitution. And as we understand that, we realize, you know, this is a, a really civil way of going about operating. And do we really want to put our boot on the neck of someone else and demand that they submit to what we... Do we really want fascism? And, and this is what's so fascinating is we're watching kind of this pendulum swing where we were, we were at a point where the Constitution was in a lot of trouble, and now it seems as though there's, there's a desire across the country to re, revisit it. And I would say be prepared to do that. Back here, yes? Google. And they've, uh, so you, know, you were going to ask more. I just have to repeat it. Uh, so the, the comment was uh, Prager University videos have been suppressed by Google. Yes, they have. And Prager University is currently in a lawsuit with Google as a result of that. And, and you know, this is this idea of the freedom of the press, you know, and, and uh, do we want the federal government to intervene? And do we want, it, it, these are all things that we have to be prepared to do. And one of the ways that you take away someone's right is to make them realize they don't, make them think they don't have them. This is really dangerous stuff to tell. Did anyone see um, in the State of the Union, for me, it was one of the most moving portions of the State of the Union address last night, when the Korean fellow with, who was missing a leg and a hand, and he stood and he held his crutches that he had walked 6,000 miles on to get to freedom. Did anyone see that? One of the things that moved me about that is the, the suppression that he realized that he was free, and the, the very first thing he did was go back to Seoul, Korea, and broadcast this concept of freedom. When he was in China getting uh, his leg repaired and, and getting treatment in a communist nation, he was exposed to Christians who had shared the gospel with him. And for those of you who aren't Christians and you're here for the, I'm just sharing with you the concept of Christianity, that you know the truth, the truth sets you free. As we've gone through the history of this idea of the Geneva Bible and where these concepts come from and all those things. So you have a context for, for why it moved me. All of a sudden he realizes, wait a minute, I'm creating the image of God. I'm equal. There's no person who's allowed to have authority over me. Stand fast there and for the freedom. For These are all words of inspiration. As he got them, it moved him, and he, he came to freedom. All of his family got out, save but his dad, who was probably killed. And he's standing there holding these crutches in defiance of oppression. I was, I was just moved by that. So the idea is, why, isn't, why aren't these words allowed in North Korea? Because if people hear them, They'll march 6,000 miles to find it. It's amazing what it does to the human soul once you realize there's more than this guy oppressing me. Was there a question back here I didn't see? Over here? Yeah? So the, the, the comment was, for those listening, um, the comment was, at Channel Islands University, there used to be a constitution class, but the teacher left and there's no one to take his place or her place. And is that a, is a reason, a result of not enough teachers to teach that or nobody available to teach it? Or is it a political thing that they just want to get rid of it? Is that... Yeah. Education in general. I imagine that there is a, a contingent of folks that, that really want to move in a progressive mind and have abandoned this idea of a constitutional republic, and they do have this motivation. But it, in all intents and purposes, I would say the general population of America, that when they hear these things, they want to return to them and they want to know them more. Um, I, I would say that, that this, these fires have to be reignited. Do you go to Channel Islands currently? I would invite everyone you can think of to come and join, uh, you know, or, or start to pick these up and share them with people. T tune them into some of these, these videos and allow them to see a different point of view because it'll stir in the human heart this concept of freedom that we have this ability to live in a civil concept. You know, I, I love this idea, and I, I, I've seen it portrayed a few times, uh, a new reality show. For all of those who really believe that socialism is the answer, the reality show is we take them and put them in a socialist country for three months, kind of like, you know, uh, lone survivor or survivor or whatever you call it, and, and put them in the socialist countries and say, here it is, you know, live in your utopia. 
And, and they would come back unbelievable advocates for, for a constitutional republic. Uh, be creative. You've been placed there for such a, a time as this. And, and you're, you're just as, you're a voice. How will people know unless someone tells them? And every one of you has a responsibility. You have a realm of, of influence. I'm not on Cal State Channel Islands campus. You are. Take this, duplicate it, you know, assimilate it, practice it, speak about it. You know, it, this, this has to motivate us. Uh, here? The sentence is, if it is to be, it is up to me. That's good. I like it. Anyone else tonight? Uh, back here, yes? Yeah. So the comment is, um, this has inspired you to, to pick up the Constitution, read it, revisit it, understand it. You know, it, it's, it's kind of like being in a desert where you're dying of thirst and you come across a glass of water. And, it's, and it doesn't matter if it's hot or what, it's the best glass of water you've ever had, right? Uh, there was a, a lieutenant, the last name was McCoy, he was a Marine, he was on the USS Indianapolis. It was the last ship to sink in, in uh, the war in, in Japan and... Um, it was sunk by a Japanese submarine and they, they had just finished transporting the nuclear bomb. I think little, little man or fat boy, I can't remember which one to Tinian. And, um, they had lost contact and, and they all went into the water and many of them were eaten by sharks. If you saw the movie Jaws and when he was recounting that, that was depicted from the USS Indianapolis. And this guy, they, they had gone days and days and days without any water and they were all dying of thirst. And at times when they go to see if their buddy was awake, they'd bob up because their legs would be missing from the sharks that had eaten them. And, and you know, like 300 came out of the water of over a thousand that went in. I don't know the exact statistics, but this guy, Lieutenant McCoy was recounting, he's since passed, but he's recounting. And his wife said that he goes to bed every night with a glass of ice water by his bedside. And, and he wakes up and the first thing he touches is that glass of ice water. A, a, a thirst will will always just a, when you have experienced unbelievable thirst and you're satiated by that which satisfies you'll always return to that so i'm glad that it's done that for you i really am and i i hope it instills in all of you that desire and when you found the source it's really good to take people to it because they're all dying of thirst you find a well in the desert and anyone else bring them right yes So your question is, as a substitute teacher, seeing the revision history, revisionist history in the textbooks, how, how do you make a difference? Yeah, I, I think there needs to be a civil, wise approach to this that doesn't have to be left or right. And one of the things that's really cool about school board elections is that they're nonpartisan. And, and if you can just put before a school board this need for civic education and revisiting of the Constitution and celebrate it and teach it in schools and emphasize that, as opposed to getting caught in these eddies of confusion and just you know weird things that bring division if you push for that and start to educate the populace, all of a sudden they'll read it and it'll instill in them a desire to want to understand it. I, I think that that is doable in our local school districts. And I think if a community starts to say, hey, you know what? We need, I mean, that's the number one theme in the time we've been doing this that everyone says, how do we do this with children? Well, again, I'm going to reiterate, how many of you have been to a school board meeting? 
How many of you have, have, have taken time to know who these candidates are and ask them these questions and ask them if they know what it is that they're going to be working towards and how important these issues are? And, and have you gotten together and have you started to form groups to try to implement this? You got to walk precincts. You got you to take it to heart. You can't just sit back and we need to get this in school. No, we nothing. You. I've, I've, I'm working. Us. You can join me, but don't say we as though you have a mouse in your pocket. Right? Or, yeah. Does that make sense? I'm sorry I have to beat up on you. I got here, Tom, and I'll come back to you. Yeah, Agnes? Okay, so Agnes was saying, Pastor, you have a platform. Uh, how would you inspire someone who doesn't have a platform? I would just simply say to you, Agnes, how many phone calls did you make in an election? 1,500. You have a platform of 1,500 people you created by picking up a telephone and making a difference in a community. And you're saying, I have a platform? You know how many calls I made? None. You know why? Because you made them all. Tom made them all. I was able to go and meet people and speak at different locations and do these things. Everyone's going to carry the water. So you do have a platform. Don't sell yourself short. Tom. How many more weeks of this are you going to have? How many more weeks of this am I going to have? Or is this, is this the end? I got one more for sure. So come next week. And then I'll decide if we're going to start over. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I, I, well, let me real quick. I did get someone to say, when are you going to start a Bible study? Cause I want to come back to church. <laughs> so you, you see where I'm torn here. Yes. Okay, so the comment was the young man who's going to Channel Islands, we're in a bully culture where you, if you step out and you say these things, the likelihood is you won't get a degree or you won't get a good grade or you'll, and it's oppressive in that regard. And, and yeah, that's true. And, and I would say there's different approaches to it. Um, and I'm going to use you as an example. How many degrees do you have? So you have a, a doctor of jurisprudence. So you're a doctor. And tell everyone where, tell tell everyone where you graduated from. Loyola. Loyola. In L.A. In L.A. So you went through that entire system, and it wasn't always conservative. Maybe it was a little bit more than what's that? Never. Never conservative. Yeah. So so you still have retained this and you are active in the community with the education you received, correct? To a degree, but 
You've been you've been bullied. Okay. Well, that's that's between you and your God. But I would say this: there's different ways to approach it. Some people have this ability to navigate those waters. Uh, one in particular, uh, who is the the Jewish young man that went to Harvard? I think it was Ben Shapiro. He went to UCLA. And, and he survived a liberal education, and he is unbelievable in his ability to articulate and contend. And some people have that gift. Others are subtle and quiet. Uh, to try to survive in Hollywood and still maintain, I ran into a woman at a wedding. And uh, at the wedding, is, uh, she said, I am the only, uh, it's one of the, it, it's the oldest company in Hollywood that's still in existence. And I'm the only conservative in that office. And they all know what I stand for. And I do my job well. And they appreciate me. And I'm contending. And, and I, I listened to her and saw all the inroads that she had made. And one of the things is she had, she had made these inroads because she had worked in such a way that they couldn't, you know, condemn her for her, her work. And the subtlety in which she's made. And she, she went through a series of, of things that she had had influence on over the course of her career. And I think everyone has somewhat of ability, and, and, and each one is given a, a series of gifts. And, and some people are really good at confrontation. Others are good at subtlety. Whatever you are gifted at, do it. Do it to the best of your ability. Um, and yeah, there's a bully culture. Uh, some folks love that. You know, it's like Winston Churchill would go into Great Depression if there wasn't conflict. And when there was conflict, it just inspired him. So people have different approaches to it. And I would say, you know, granted you're in that realm, but you're still holding firm. And there are times where you feel like you need to speak up more. You'll go through that and process it over here. He'll figure it out. Right. And in my case, the same thing, you know, I, I've, I've started to learn how to acclimate and, and be prepared in season, out of season to give a reason for the hope that lies within me. And a gentle answer turns away wrath and a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. You figure out ways to do that. And it's relational. Spend time with folks. If you just want to go out and be a jerk, well, I'm not saying about you. That, that wasn't my, I'm not using it. I'm saying I've met folks like that that just, just want to be rude and caustic and bombastic. And they're building nothing. And they're doing nobody a, a service. So I think it requires wisdom. It's 8 o'clock. I'll take one more brief Question. You know, that's, that's why we've all, it, what, it, what it creates is a division we have in America today, where half, half the house is standing in applause and the other half is seated. And there's so much division because the one who's in power is sticking it to the other one, and then the other one that's in power sticks it to the other one, and, and you just get this division. But if we had a deliberative body where we were able to talk about these issues and, and, and not by edicts, but by civil discourse and participating in the process and operating in a civil manner, yeah, you're going to get a quick result and, and feel good. That's like eating a pizza instead of having something good to eat. You're, you're, you're going to get that initial rush, but long term, you're just going to be a balloon. So you have to discipline. And, and that's, that's the part of body politic. We have to dwell together in unity. We've got to work through this. So I don't know if that answers your question. but All right. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. Uh, it, I'll leave you with this. If you would like, um, if you have some topics you want me to cover, I won't promise you I'll do it. Next week, I'm certainly going to have um, another topic. But is there something you want me to cover? And, you know, be mindful. I want you to talk about the, and you got your, you know, political bend and you want to really make sport of it. Be mindful of kind of how we're approaching this and tell me if there's something you want me to look at. And I will. Uh, things that you're confused by that you'd like some more insight on. And if I can make something out of it and find sources to do it, I will. This requires so much work for me. 
I just want you to know that. I, as a minister, if I'm going through Matthew 22, I can look at 30 different sermons of guys who've done it, and I've got all of the Greek laid out, and I can go with illustrations and examples. To do this, I can't find anybody. I've got to dig through that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but I, it's, it's, it is an enormous amount of work. So um, if you have sources or things you'd like me to look at, and trust me, even the sources, I've got to sift through those because, you know, people have an agenda and I, I need to look at original documents. I've got to look at those things. I've got to go through them. So, okay, I'd like your help if you want to give it to me. God bless you guys.